Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. It's episode 107 of We Are Going Up. Strap yourselves in. I'm Mark Crossley and along for the ride we've got Watford's very own David Cameron Walker. Watford's very own, yeah. <laughs> From the town, not the team. <laughs> <laughs> and Siren Sester's favourite son, Karma Queen. Hello, although I probably could play for Siren Sester Town. Are oh, you Siren Sester's favourite son? Who else is famous from Siren Sester that would beat you? Doesn't Liz Hurley live there? She, yeah, but she's not from there. But and look. she's also, she would be the daughter. Yeah. So you could still be Siren Sester's famous I'd son. I'd happily be related. Who very else? good one. Anyway. No, you. Famous people live there. Dom Jolly lives there. More important news. Served, served him in Waitrose once. More important news. You're a poor man's Dom Jolly. Just breaking, uh, sorry to sort of trample all over this as we record you've got a tweet DC that you want to share that Berry yeah. Football Club have just at, released at Berry FC official have just tweeted we are delighted to confirm that <laughs> David Flickcroft has been appointed manager at the JD Stadium with immediate effect hashtag Berry FC <laughs> so uh, <laughs> completely inexplicable use of capital letters much like Dom Jolly I suppose <laughs> hashtagging their own tweet as well which yeah. is a little bit odd um, oh, I'm happy with that I think that's a good appointment although I've, I've literally just in the 30 seconds before we started recording I've gone straight on the Forum straight away. All the idiots are out. Yeah, saying terrible appointment. Why would the idiots think this is this is a terrible appointment? Because he, they could have appointed Sir Alex Ferguson though, and it We've had we haven't had the best record with appointing sort of players that have used to play for us. And yeah, we're forgetting that this is a man that no, yeah, until recently. Yeah, and let, let's remember a lot of people say, oh, oh, how is depth in the championship or whatever, and you know this season they've really mm. struggled. Well, this isn't the championship we're in. This is League Two. Although I suppose his last uh, action in, oh, in, in League Two would have been as part of the promotion winning team with Keith Hill at, Ro- at Rochdale apart from the Rochdale bit I don't have a pro on the Keith Hill bit do I don't have a pro him to be bit. more of a Rochdale man than a Berry man I don't know I'm not sure no, I think he's kind of equal really yeah um, so yeah no I think that's really good really good appointment I was actually going to uh, mention managers because uh, we should thank you for sticking with us for that absolute marathon mm. uh, last week and uh, I don't think any manager has lost his job since if, oh sorry he's been sacked since no. a couple have moved around but no one has been sacked yet It'll happen probably in the next sort of hour or so. Uh, right, um, we should tell you what's coming up on the show this week then. We are going to be de- uh, discussing Richie Barker and Steve Coppel going to Pompey. Steve Cottrell's going to Bristol City. And uh, all the weekend's action, the FA Cup third round draw as well. Uh, plus, Uwe Rosler said Auf Wiedersehen to Brentford because he's now the new Wigan manager. And we're going to find out how the Bees are going to cope without him. Nick Bruzon, writer of the uh, the Last Word uh, Brentford blog, is going to be on the line to talk to us about Rosler. Uh, the next man in and the newly approved plans for that 20,000 capacity all-seater stadium at Lionel Road. First, though, let's kick off in the championship, shall we, with the standout resort of the weekend. It came at the uh, the iPro Stadium, 
or Pride Park, I think, as we're all calling it. Yep. Um, Derby, five, Blackpool, one. Derby uh, thrashed Blackpool to go fourth in the championship. A hat-trick from Chris Martin, including two penalties. Goals from Craig Bryson and Richard Keogh. And what a run they are on. And uh, I'm pleased to stay on the line right now to speak to us about it is Steve Nicholson, who is the chief football writer at the Derby Telegraph. Steve, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, 23 points from uh, 30 so far under McLaren. Uh, Derby have actually got uh, seven more points at this stage of the season than they did a year ago. Has this start exceeded all expectations? Well, I think I think if any new manager comes in and wins seven and draws two of the first ten games, that's got to exceed expectations. I'm not sure how many other managers have ever done that, I must be honest. Yeah, he, he's come in. I think the thing with Steve McLaren is, and he's made no secret of this, he's inherited a very good side you know, and a good squad. He said that from day one. And what he's done, he's put his own stamp on that squad and on that team. And uh, the results have followed. So... All in all, the start has been fantastic. When we spoke to, I think it was Owen Bradley from, from BBC uh, local radio up in Derby, when, mm. when Clough was sacked, there there was a sense when we talked to him that people were disappointed that Nigel Clough had gone, but there was also an understanding that perhaps it was time for somebody to try and push things on a little bit. And certainly that Clough had left uh, a very good legacy. Uh, and as you said, McLaren has been left a good squad to work with. And perhaps he's just put his own little spin on things, but mm. you know, the players were there and, and he's kind of made all the difference. Yeah, it's very interesting that the Nigel Clough uh, sacking at the time was a shock. Uh, they weren't doing that badly. People who've watched them all season will tell you, uh, as I know, that they were actually playing some good football for most of the season. Anyone who saw them win at Brighton and saw them win at Yeovil and saw them win at Millwall uh, will have seen the type of football they were playing. The problem they had, they were scoring goals, but they were conceding them as well. And what Steve McLaren has done, and he's a very good coach, by the way, Steve McLean. If you ever get the chance to watch him do so. Uh, what he's done, he's, he's tightened them up. And, and it's not just about defending better. It's about when you haven't got the football, getting back in position, getting your shape right. And what he's done, he's actually tightened that shape up when they're not in possession. So he has stamped his own mark on it. Uh, Nigel Clough, uh, for four and a half years, did everything really he was asked to do. He sorted out a real mess that he inherited and it was always going to take a number of years. And he did that and uh, he moulded the, the, the majority of this squad and team. And, and then, of course, he, he was sacked. I, I went on record at the time as saying I thought the timing of his sacking was poor. Uh, it, it happened within a few hours of the defeat at Nottingham Forest, which is never a good time. But what's happened since, you know, uh, you move on, you have your say, everyone has their opinion. And then people move on and Steve's come in. And as I said before, he's done a fantastic job. And uh, all you've got to do is look at the table now. They've risen from 14th to 4th and uh, they've got themselves in a very healthy position. Steve, are you perhaps surprised at how quickly McLaren has shaped things, given how long Nigel Clough was at the club? And I know Steve McLaren has previous links with Derby, but it doesn't strike me as a man who will go into a dressing room and really shake things up you know, through passion and what have you. So are you surprised he's taken to it so quickly and so well? Well, the interesting thing is when you, when you speak to Steve McLaren, I've known Steve now for, well, since, since I first came to Derby in 1985. He was, in, he, was after he was playing for Derby County at the time and uh, I started covering Derby County Reserves in 1985. And uh, he, he was in the reserve team at the time. He'd lost his place in the side to John Gregory. So I've known Steve a long time, and Steve, Steve will tell you that, that he's come in here and he's, a, he's actually not changed an awful lot. 
uh, in the dressing room, he's not gone in and he's not shaken things about and all that because he said right from day one that a lot of it was in place. As I say, he's just added here and there, tinkered with the shape slightly. And, and, and what we must remember about Steve McLaren and, 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 you know, a lot of journalists ask him, you know, is this about rebuilding your reputation as a manager? Because it took a bit of a bashing with the England situation and again at Nottingham Forest. But Steve McLaren has always been a top-class coach. And, and when you've got a top-class coach working with a good squad, then you've always got a chance. So, in a way, I'm not surprised because I, I always felt Derby were playing particularly well anyway. It just needed a few things tweaking here and there, which often it does. Often in football, that's all it needs. And uh, a fresh pair of eyes came in and, and they looked at it. And uh, he's, he's actually turned things around very, very well. Whether or not Derby would have gone on this run anyway, we'll, we'll never know now. And that, and that, in some ways, is the beauty of football. You know, you, you move on and, and you see what's next. And Steve McLaren has certainly come in and done that. And, and as I say, let's not forget about Steve McLaren. He is a top coach. Just looking at the team that McLaren's named in the last two games, you hear Lee Grant uh, in goal, Andre Wisdom on loan from Liverpool, obviously at fullback, Keogh and Buxton centre back, Forsyth, the other fullback, Craig Bryson, John Eustace midfield, uh, Simon Dawkins, Will Hughes, Jamie Ward, and then uh, Chris Martin up front. I, I see positives all over that team. I was watching. I watched the game on, on Saturday against Blackpool, and you know, rampant, weren't they? Once they got the goal yeah, back yeah. into the game, and. You know, Hughes is a player that everyone's talking about in terms of being linked with, with moves to like likes of Liverpool and Premier League yeah. teams sniffing around him. But the player that really excites me and that I've seen in the last few games is Simon Dawkins, a player on loan from Spurs who has had kind of potential for a long time. He's a strange player that in the fact that he's 26, but Spurs kind of persisted with him despite releasing him a, releasing him once. They brought him back. He's been over in the MLS, but he's a player that's always had potential. Now finally seems to be uh, realising it under McCarran. He, he seems to have been involved in a lot of the goals recently and he looked excellent against Blackpool on Saturday. Yeah, it's very... I mean, what an interesting story this is. You know, Simon Dawkins, not played a first-team game for Spurs, I don't think. Uh, couldn't really find his way. Went to the MLS, did, did quite well and was probably wondering you know, what, what next for him, really. Uh, Steve McLaren was aware of him. He, he took him on trial to 20 in, uh, in Holland when he was manager there. And uh, what's happened is Simon Dawkins has come in uh, he's got better with each game, and that's not a surprise because, of course, his match fitness would need to have improved, and and that's what that's why on Saturday I thought we saw his best game Saturday. He's looking fitter, he's looking stronger, he's looking more confident. Very direct, gets the ball, runs at people, uh, troubled Blackpool all afternoon. Probably should have got a hat trick himself. Actually, uh, Chris Martin got one. He probably you know, Simon will be a bit disappointed he didn't score himself. Well, yeah, it's a great story, this one, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with, with him in January. I know Derby are very keen to keep him. Uh, I think his contract at Spurs runs to the end of the season. So it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out. And he, he's done very well. And as you say, the, the side, there's a lot of positives in this side. And the, the beautiful thing about the side is it's got a balance of youth and experience. And I know we, we talk about that an awful lot in football. And it's very important. And, and Simon is, is just 26. He's not what you call a young player, but, but in, in, in experienced terms, he is. Will Hughes certainly is. And, and then you've got people like John Eustace dropped in. Super experienced, knows where to stand, knows spots trouble, spots danger, goes in, mops it up. Uh, then you've got you know Richard Keogh at the back, Lee Grant. 
know, it, it, it's got a, it's got a lovely balance about it at the moment. So I think that's why there's uh, real excitement about the place. And a statistic that will uh, excite every Derby fan is that last season in 46 league games they scored 65 goals. This year oh. in 19 they've scored 40. Yeah, nine more than Leicester City. I think is is, is the stat. All season, I'll say this again. All season, you know, they they scored three at Yeovil, they scored five at Millwall, uh, and they've just kind of, kind of continued. And and when they've got the ball, and when they play at a high tempo, which is absolutely essential to to, to Derby's team playing at a high tempo, when they do that, teams are finding it really difficult to cope with them. Wigan uh, a couple of weeks ago, first half at Wigan, Derby absolutely swept them aside. Uh, they went 3-0 up, I think, in half, half an hour. Could have been more. And Wigan really didn't know what hit them. And now Wigan aside until very recently, that people fancied maybe, you know, to, to, to kind of bounce straight back. But Derby, you know, made them look very, very ordinary that day. And uh, playing at high tempo, a lot of energy. Craig Bryson typifies this. You know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Paul Green used to play for Derby. He's now at Leeds. Uh, Green is a great lad, good midfielder. Could run forever, Paul Green. Uh, but Craig Bryson, oh, he covers some distance on the pitch. And, and say when they play at high tempo, teams are finding it very difficult to live with them. Do you think, uh, Steve, as well, with uh, the January uh, transfer window approaching, people like Will Hughes may depart? Or is Steve going to put his foot down? I know he's brought in a couple of people on loan already. Uh, Michael Keane from Man United, for example, who played at Leicester last season. So would he also be tempted to bring people in over the coming weeks just to kind of strengthen things up in certain positions? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I've written a piece for, 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 for The Telegraph tomorrow and uh, it's, it's basically about the window. And what, what I've said is that uh, Steve McLaren has told me that, that the idea is to, to get to January the 2nd, which is obviously they play, they play Wigan on January the 1st, get to January the 2nd, have a look where they are, assess the situation, see what they need, if anything, to push on again. So there's, I think there's always a possibility of something happening. But the most important thing in January, I feel, looking at the team at the moment, will be keeping hold of the best players they've got. We all talk about Will Hughes, and teams were told, you know, all, all the speculation, and I'm fed up with the speculation. I've been following the speculation on Will Hughes for, for probably two years now. All these clubs who are meant to be making or preparing these bids, well, they're taking so long to prepare bids, they must be hefty bids, that's all I can say. <laughs> But he's a real talent. Uh, Craig Bryson, you know, clubs will have noticed the improvement in Craig Bryson. Derby signed him from Kilmarnock for £450,000. What a snip that's proved. You know, at the moment, there are a few midfielders in, in, in the championship as good as Craig Bryson. He scored eight goals. He's got seven assists. Uh, Steve McLaren at the weekend, you know, said, gave us the old cliche, you know, box-to-box midfielder. Uh, I think we'd lost those in football, but actually with Craig Bryson, he, we've actually got one in him. You know, Chris Martin up front is scoring goals. A clever player, you know, good control, can play with his back to, to defences. Very, very good. So clubs will be very aware of, of, of all Derby's players at the moment. So one of the main things about January, you know, as well as trying to maybe tie down Dawkins and maybe extending Michael Keane's loan, one of the good things or the important things about January is, is hopefully keeping hold of the, their own good players. On Chris Martin, um, mm. having an excellent season, got the hat-trick at the weekend, and describe him as a clever player there. Well, somebody mm. who didn't think he was too clever was a Blackpool manager, Paul Ince, who was scathing after the game. <laughs> what was? I have to, you have to say, after looking at the replay, it did look yeah. like he went down very easily for that first penalty. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what, what Chris is, 
he's a target man. Derby play into him, and then he allows the likes of Bryson and Dawkins and Ward and Russell and, and even Will Hughes to play off him. And it's, it worked, it's worked perfectly all season. What he's very cute at is when the ball goes into him, he's feeling a defender in his back. And actually, most of the time, you, know, you can win free kicks that way. And most of the time, they are free kicks. Now, obviously, the penalty... It's what's known decision. as a Kevin Davies. <laughs> oh, listen, it, it's all part of the game and, and, and it's a vital part. And if you've got a good target man, it, it works a treat. The penalty decision after 40 seconds of the second half against Blackpool was a key moment in the game. Changed the game. That. Yeah, it did. I mean, Derby were on top anyway, but sometimes you need a break. All teams need a break. All teams need a bit of luck. Uh, there was a bit of contact. The contact, as, as you've all probably seen, was outside the box anyway. The contact was minimal, and, and Chris went down. When it, uh, when it happened in real time, I didn't think it was a penalty. And obviously, what I've seen since, I've not changed my mind. It certainly it wasn't a penalty. But that's what happens in football. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. And uh, to, to be fair to Derby, they got that break at that moment, and they took full advantage of it. So Derby are on this incredible run, and I'm just looking at the fixtures coming up. Uh, yeah. Before the, uh, the turn of the year, Charlton away, Doncaster at home, uh, Huddersfield away, Barnsley away. So that's Charlton, Doncaster and Barnsley, three teams who are right down there. So potentially good fixtures. And then uh, to start the new year uh, after the Wigan match at home, Chelsea at home in the FA Cup. It's a very exciting time to be a Derby fan. It is exciting. I mean, if we take the league games first, there's five league games before Jose Mourinho brings his side to town. Five important league games for, for Derby that put themselves, as I said earlier, in a very healthy position. This weekend's game at Charlton will be my, I think, my 570th consecutive uh, first-team game I've covered wow. for Derby. That is so, some effort. <laughs> yeah, when you when you've seen that many consecutive uh, games, uh, most of them in the Championship, we won't touch on that one season in the Premier League now. Uh, <laughs> I'm still scarred by. Erase that, that from your mind. Yeah, I think many others are still scarred by that. When you've looked, you know, seen so many Championship games, you realise. And I know it's a cliche. The thing with cliches are that they're often true. That's the thing with cliches. They often ring true. And in this division, honestly, you really don't know what's going to happen in the next game. The fixtures have got coming up. People look at them and think, oh, they've got a good chance here. And indeed they have. But all the games, I'm never surprised by any results. One of the things about the Premier League season when we were there for one season was that as I drove to games, I often knew what the outcome would be as far as uh, win, lose or draw. And it, and it became very predictable, unfortunately. When I drive to championship games, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea whether they'll win, lose or draw. I've got an inkling, I've got a feeling, but you just don't know. And so even though we've got these five games coming up and, and people will look at them and think, oh, there's points up for grabs there, you know, you, you can never tell. And, and I've seen Derby go on runs of eight games without a win, as well as eight games uh, unbeaten. So it's that easy in the championship. At the moment, they're on a great run, and and that's you know they want to remain on that great run if they can. Being unbeaten in the championship is crucial. If you can do that, if you can keep chipping away and keep adding points, and the other important thing is when they lose, and they will lose a game sometime because that that's that's the nature of it. When you lose a game at this level, as they did at QPR at the beginning of November, the key is don't lose the next game. Because what happens in the championship, you can lose one, you can lose two, and before you know it, you lost five. You know, the key is to stop it immediately 
And they did that after the QPR game and the 1-5 on the spin mm. centre. Very true, very true indeed. Always got to bounce back and, and get mm. that next result on the board. It's a hallmark of championship winning teams. Um, but as you say, I mean, a lot can happen in three weeks, five games mm. before that Chelsea game. But as it stands, Chelsea are having some real defensive problems at the moment. Their, their selection is, is changing week in, week out. You know, teams that you would used to be, you expect Chelsea to make light work of, such as Stoke at the weekend. They're scoring three past them all of a sudden. Sunderland scored three the other week. So if, if Derby keep going the way they're going and Chelsea do, we could have a really exciting game on our hands. Are you predicting 5-5? Five, five? <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, the last two games for Chelsea. I mean, before that, defensively, they, 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 were, they, were quite, they were quite strong. I think they've conceded six in the last two, haven't they? Which is very unlike them, to, to, be, to be honest. And you would imagine that uh, the coach they've got will, may well have nailed that down before, before they come to town in January. Uh, but no, I mean, let's be honest, the, the draw has created a real buzz here. There's two things with the FA Cup. One, you can look at it and say, well, I want as many, uh, I want to get as far as I can, so it could give me the easiest ties if there's any such thing. Or two is you want a big tie at home, and, and they've got a big tie at home uh, against attractive opposition. Derby are going well. Chelsea have got so many terrific players. Uh, it's going to be a real, I think it's going to be a special afternoon. The way it's panning out, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a sellout because, you know, gates at Derby, as you're aware, are always very good. Chelsea will bring a good following. May well be live on television. I think we'll find out whether it is or not in the next day or two. Uh, but it, it looks a special game to me. And, and I hope Derby... Well, one of the problems you have with big games like this is you know you can freeze on the day. I, I hope Derby don't. Uh, because at the moment, they're playing really good football. They're very, very confident. And, and if, if results continue to go for them between now and then, then they should be in a real good position and also a very confident moon. I hope, I hope they go out and play their football. If they do, we could be in for an entertaining afternoon. Thanks for coming on, Steve. Really nice to That's talk no to problem. you. Cheers, no buddy. That is uh, Steve Nicholson, who's the chief football writer at the Derby Telegraph. And next, we're dropping down to League One, where the Bees need a new boss. So, what a weird week to be a Brentford fan. A real mix of delight and disappointment, I imagine. Delight after plans for a new 20,000 all-seat stadium at Lionel Road were approved finally by Hounslow Council on Thursday night. But disappointment that the manager who pushed them so close to promotion last season, who'd just been named League One Manager of the month of November, has gone. Uwe Rosler has been appointed as the new manager of Wigan Athletic, becoming the first manager in Brentford's history to leave and walk straight into a managerial position at a higher level. But where does this leave them? They're out of the FA Cup. They lost to Carlisle on Saturday, but they're still fourth in the league and just six points off the automatic promotion places. Uh, Nick Bruzon is a big Brentford fan, the author of the uh, Brentford Last Word blog, and we've had Nick on the show a couple of times before. I'm pleased to say he's back on the phone right now. Nick, um, how much of a blow, first of all, is it to everyone at the club, the fans, the players, the staff, that um, Rossler has decided to leave? Uh, been honest with you, Mark, and good evening. It's, it is a huge blow on the surface, and I guess a massive sign of what Uber was doing because only eight games ago he was public enemy number one after a bit of a dodgy run and the Colchester United game there were fans calling for his head and then as you say we weren't on that run it's taken us up to fourth place in the table 22 points out of a possible 24 and the team are really really flying so for him to leave at this stage just as he's got the boys all firing and the fans back on side is 
it's a huge blow for us, to be quite honest. But he has left, although perhaps unexpectedly, he has left behind, as you say, a good team, a team that's in form now, finally, this season. You had a fantastic season last year in League One, so unlucky not to be promoted in the end. So there is you know, a real opportunity for somebody to come into a job in circumstances in which you don't often come into jobs. Usually when you come into to jobs in, in the Football League or wherever, it's because a team is struggling really badly and a bereft of confidence and form. But that's not the case of Brentford. So if someone can come in and hit the ground running, you still could have a great season. Well, that's it. And, you know, one of the many great, great things that Uber has done is build this team up. And it's the same team that, but for a couple of players, I think I said earlier, has been growing together and learning together and playing together. So whoever does come in and takes over, they've got it all, not on a plate, but they've got a lot easier situation than, say, coming into a bottom three, bottom four team because the boys are on fire and long they will definitely need direction. But for the minute, you know, the first team names itself and, the first team is on fire. Who do you want as your new manager, Nick? Now, there is a question. <laughs> um, my heart would love it to be Mr Holloway. He's got he's a former Brentford player, for one thing. He's got a reputation at this level. He's got a reputation at championship level. And he's... What we'll he's got a reputation at Premier League level, really. Well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he did awfully well with Blackpool and was really unlucky not to keep them up in the end. And if nothing else... The character, the personality. He's almost like a Martin Allen, but with talent. So, <laughs> I would, oh, poor Martin. I, I was going to mention Martin Allen. say Martin Allen. What about him? Yeah, I think we, we've been there, done that. Yeah. You know, Martin Allen only takes jobs when the teams are in trouble, though, doesn't he? He's a firefighter. Yeah. He's not someone that tends and, to get people and, up. And that, you know, I, I don't want to get drawn into a Martin conversation. He, he, he's a unique individual, a mm. fantastic person, but, you know, being there, had his chance and almost did a job for us. But, no, the, the heart would love it to be Mr Holloway. Um, at the minute, if you check the bookmaker's odds, Mark Warburton, the current sporting director, seems to really, really be the bookie's favourite. But a day ago, it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank who's gone from evens out to 14 to 1. So, Well, well you should say that, yes. isn't it? Because when we when we did the uh, the pod from Griffin Park... And we spoke to you, Nick, when we were there. When we played late in Orient. Who did we see as we were going into the ground? <laughs> Walk past us, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. So he's been to Brentford already this season. So, well, what, what do you know? Maybe he was spotted, but, you know, I mean, it really is an absolutely open field. And there, was, there are some reports saying the club have had up to 60 inquiries already. Um, Mark knows the players. He knows the setup. He's he's the one that really has got a lot of these players in. I have seen um, a couple of uh, stories about Neil Warnock, Nick. Um, there's yeah. a, a story in uh, one of the local papers today saying he's ready to become Brentford's new boss, but only on a one-season basis to start with. Apparently, a source was quoted as saying, Neil has a few irons in the fire. We should know. We've yeah. already talked about it the last couple of weeks. Um, he says, uh, if the club was willing to give it a go for this season, then it would be good to talk. Yeah, this is the same Neil Warnock that's about to come Sheffield Wednesday manager a few days ago. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. Neil Warnock, uh, I can absolutely confirm to you, given that I work with him on a weekly basis, um, is... But, you know, all of a sudden, bang up for getting into management again. I think oh, I thought, we, thought we had an exclusive for a second. I think he lost, I think he lost a bit of the fight and, at, at Leeds and, and he left, kind of was a bit fed up with it and kind of retired back to Cornwall and doing his media stuff and was very happy. But, you know, he's made no secret of the fact that he wants to get back into management and he did turn the Sheffield Wednesday job down in the end despite being offered it, I think, because he just thought it'd just be too much of a, a challenge being with his history in Sheffield United. But he wants to get back in and... You know, Brentford, it would be a good opportunity for him. I don't think there's many other clubs at the moment that he's going to, you know, like like I said at the start, it, you'd expect Warnock to take a job where it's have to be him having to keep someone up for the end of the season. But if he was to get the Brentford job, he's got a real opportunity to, to go up. But, you know, I'm, I'm not sure whether he would be, be the right fit for you. 
Do you know what? And this will probably come back to bite me on the backside when he's revealed in a few days' time, but <laughs> he, he really wouldn't be my choice. You know, Matthew Benham is a young, exciting club owner. He took a massive punt with Uber, or so we thought, and ultimately he, he, he's proven he knew what he was doing. And I think he'll be looking to go down the same route, whether it's employing from within his own established team or getting another young manager. There's a lot of talk as well about Solskjaer. You know, could he come from Norway as Uber did? Unlikely, I think. Um, you, you mentioned well, you mentioned Matthew Benn in there. He's uh, he's been asking the fans, hasn't he, on Twitter, which is good to see. Uh, he says we're currently searching for the next Brentford manager who will be the best man or woman for the job. Yeah, I mean Matthew's great like that from one respect, and that he really, really gets involved with the fans. From another respect, it, it, it's frustrating because it feels. But I don't mean this in a nasty way. Almost like he's toying with us or teasing us. Cause he's dropping his cryptic clues, and we're all desperate to find out, we're all desperate to get involved. Uh, and he loves it, and we love it. Does there need to be an air of urgency, though, Nick, about it, about the appointment, given UA left the team doing quite well, as we've already mentioned? Cause, so you don't fall into a bit of a malaise and start to drop points. D- does the appointment need to be made sooner rather than later, or can they afford to take a, a few weeks over the decision? I think short-term, there's no particular issue. As I say, you, you've got a very, very settled coaching and backroom team, Mark Warburton, Peter Farrell, Alan Kernigan, they've all been around the club for a couple of years. They know the system. They know the players. The players know the system. I think any longer than a couple of weeks, and we're getting into that busy Christmas period, you, you want to know where the team's going and what it's going to be doing. Yeah. And if it is at Warburton as a choice, then good luck to him. Let's get it nailed on sooner than later. But in the immediate short term, I'm not too perturbed. I'd rather the right man was picked for the job. And, you know, with Uber... It took quite a while to get him established in the end. You know, the fans were wondering for ages, who's it going to be, who's it going to be? And it turned out it was him. And as it happened, it was an inspired choice, really. Right, let's talk about something slightly uh, more positive rather than sort of uh, all uh, sort of doom and gloom about oh, where we're going to go, who's the new manager going to be. What about this stadium then, Nick? Tell us all about it. Finally approved this week. Lionel Road is going to happen. How important is that for the future of the club? Well, absolutely massive. The club's made no secret over the last... Well, 11 years, it's been in the works. It is the future of Brentford Football Club. It's still very much in the borough of Hounslow. It's a really, really exciting design. A stadium of shape and character as opposed to an identikit bowl. And it's only half a mile away from where we are at the moment. Maybe a touch more, but certainly well, well within walking distance of Griffin Park. And all of a sudden, we have a home that's going to be modern, exciting, rather than a Griffin Park, which, much as I love it, and I do, it's looking very much jaded around the edges she would like to say <laughs> Nick I was reading your last word blog on this and you talk quite you know candidly about how close this was to not happening and it, you know how it's been dragged on for over a decade now so just how close was it the other, the other day when this um, I suppose this council meeting really wasn't it you know came to a head just how close was it to finally being you know, cancelled once and for all or was was this always going to eventually happen and you'd, you know, Brentford would finally be given this new home on, on Lionel Road well Nothing is eventual in life, let alone football. And whilst the council planning committee had recommended it be approved a few days beforehand, there was you know, close to a thousand people in that public meeting where the issue was debated. And it, it went long into the night, it started at half seven, and the vote was finally made just before midnight. And listening there and standing there, it was an awful lot closer than I thought it was ever going to be. Some of the Conservative councillors were very much opposed to it. There was an awful lot of inflammatory statements being thrown around from their side. A lot of people who didn't really, in my eyes, get football, it it really was a bureaucratic process where footballing matters and 
equally housing matters because there's the associated flats that go with the project plan were being discussed and debated. It was, it was quite tense, but I have to say, absolute credit to the firstly the Brentford team that got involved. It really was a phenomenal presentation. What seemed like some awfully tricky questions being answered very, very well and very openly and very honestly. So a tense night, an exciting night, and in the end, the right decision was made. So as you said, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. Mark Devlin held it as a huge day for Brentford, and it's all about you know looking to the future and trying to sustain and build a club that can compete at the level above in the Championship and who knows where from there. I understand that. I understand that that needs modern facilities and everything. But if you just look at the at the attendance levels at Griffin Park, and the capacity of Griffin Park is 12,763. Your average attendance this season is 6,700, so you're about half filling your ground on the, on average each week. Um, that's, a, you know, 20,000 will, will, will be able to be seated in Lionel Road. There's, you know, you've got to find a lot of fans to fill this new stadium. I and mean, do you think if you were to get promoted into the championship, would you ever be able to get anywhere close to, to filling uh, Lionel Road on a regular basis? I am absolutely convinced we would. You look at the interest around the football club last season when we were getting towards the business end of the season, when we had Chelsea in the FA Cup, even when we had Southend in the FA Cup the round before. If the team are doing well, the fans are there. You look at the likes of uh, Fulham. You know, back in the 90s, they were in the division below Brentford, the, what was the old fourth tier. Uh, they were getting nobody turning up at their place by the river. You look at them now, they're, they're struggling to sell out, but they're getting a good fifteen, sixteen thousand minimum. And when when the big teams come, they're, they're in the Premier League, though. They're in the top flight, but well, if Brentford can get promoted, that's only going to help attendances, isn't it? Hmm. Well, that, that that that's my logic, and we haven't been in the second tier as is since 1993. But back then, Griffin Park capacity about the same as it is now. We were regularly selling out and regularly getting full houses and big crowds. You go to the Championship, football's profile has become a lot bigger in the last 20 years than it was then. Lionel Road will sell out. I've got no doubt, no worries about that as long as the team are there and the team are playing in a higher tier. Nick, one final question to be expected, I think, and uh, it's probably the most important one we've just asked. Absolutely. Will the new ground have a pub on every corner? The new ground will have one hopes, and <laughs> we have yet to the final design specs of certainly what we call refreshment outlets, but they are looking to have drinking areas all around. Well, you know, remember when, when, when Wembley was, was knocked down? Well, how long ago now? What, eight years ago, something like that? No, um, more than that. 2000, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah last yeah, game. Yeah, and, um, yeah, okay, well, a long time ago now. Um, there was all that talk of could they potentially save the Twin Towers and maybe, you know, crane them out of the old thing, save them and put them back into the new development <laughs> and stuff. Well, could we do that? Could we get the pub, <laughs> sort of just seal them off somehow, keep them safe and then just get them on the back of a lorry up the road, up the Hammersmith flyover and just put them down on each corner of the new ground? <laughs> It's a great thought. And, you, know, you, <laughs> no. you mentioned Wembley at the time. It was the Twin Towers, almost like this iconic treasure that can never be replicated or replaced. And now we've got a spanking new stadium. They've got the huge arch. It's like, but it's just not as good, though, is it? Well, I'd worry that's about the, that's I'd worry the, thing, about the uh, just... four pubs there at the moment. What's going to happen? But it's, but it's not. I mean, to make a serious point, like I understand that this good thing for the club hang on a minute hang on a second it's not as good it's not as fun being in Wembley as it used to be in the old one and I dare say you it cannot... won't be the same in the new in the new line of road you cannot say put four pubs in a truck lift them up and then follow that up with a serious point in well I am covers. and it's, it's, there is going to be some sadness leaving Griffin Park surely because you, you're going to lose something we will but there's one thing I've always said about Brentford and I've been a sport since the late 70s 
it really is a family club and it really is a fans club. And somehow or other, everybody gets involved. There's always been this massive, massive element of community. And well, they're not going to build four spanking new pubs, that's for sure. <laughs> um, if for no other reason, one of them's my local. And if anyone tries to LF that out, then it's going to be worse. <laughs> but, you know, they will come up with something unique. Well, are the uh, pubs going to stay? Because they're not, I mean, they say four pubs on, on every corner. They're not actually part of the ground as such, are they? I mean, what, what's happening to Griffin Park? Is that turning into houses? Will, will these pubs still be there? The pubs will stay. Whether there they stay go. in business is another question, but they are, yeah, they're part of the community and not hermetically sealed into the stadium. So the ground will be knocked down and turned into new housing, presumably. But the pubs will be there. Excellent. Well, just get yourself a flat in, in the old site and then you're, you're all good. Well, I only live about 10 minutes away, so I'll make sure I go down there more often okay. keep them going. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for coming on. We appreciate time, it. Jeff. That is uh, Nick Bruzon, who is the uh, the author of the Brentford Last Word blog. Uh, next, it's time for the return of My Club, the bit of the show where we give Football League fans 125 seconds to tell us all about their club, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, the focus, the spotlight is on Torquay United. This is We Are Going Up, My Club in 125 seconds. Hello, my name's James Bennett, and my club is Torquay United. So, James, straight away, from the accent, can you tell us how you ended up being a Torquay fan? Uh, my dad is from uh, Torbay, so he was a Torquay fan from being a, a child and uh, he passed it on to me despite living in Wales. And uh, what was your first ever game as a Torquay fan? Um, my first game was actually in Cardiff. Cardiff played Torquay in November 1997. It was a 1-1 draw. My first game at Playmore then was a 1-1 draw against Watford in the FA Cup a month later. Oh, brilliant. I, I, I'm a Watford fan myself. Who, who scored for... Do you remember who scored that day? <laughs> yeah, Gifton Noah Williams. Oh, Gifton. Gifton Noah Williams. Dan Gurney scored for Torquay. Excellent. Debut mentioned on the pod, I think. Um, who's your uh, favourite Torquay player from the past 16 years, whatever that is, since 97? Rodney Jack, uh, who was our striker. Rodney Jack? Gifton Noah Williams and Rodney Jack? This is superb. Go on. <laughs> Yeah, I remember um, he had a strike partnership with Jason Roberts um, at the time. Jason Roberts came in on loan, and um, we got into the playoffs uh, largely on the back of his form. You've probably not had too many uh, best moments this season, James. What is your uh, best moments as a Torquay United fan? I would have to say just about promotion back to the Football League at Wembley in 2009 when we beat Cambridge United. I think that's just about edges getting promotion to League One. Uh, mainly because I was at Wembley, but I wasn't at the uh, South End game when we got promoted to League One. So would I be right in saying your lowest moment is relegation out of the Football League? Yeah, I, I would say so. I remember it, I was at the match um, at Playmore the day we got relegated against Peterborough, one-one draw, and just the final whistle blew. There was an eerie silence over the ground, and I never experienced anything like that before. Well, the problem is you might experience it again the way you're going. Uh, what do you make yeah. of Alan Nil? I'm not a massive fan, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we try to play some attractive football, but then other players seem to be hoofing it. No clear philosophy there. Let's keep bringing the mood down, though, James. Um, do you think you will get relegated this season? I have a feeling we... Oh, yeah. I don't think we've got the money <laughs> to dig ourselves out of it. Nice try, Carl, but uh, I think that's backfired. Uh, James, best of luck for the rest of the season. Your two minutes is up. Thank you. Cheers, Mark. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So we'll have another one of those on the show next week and extra points if you can squeeze in references to brilliant forgotten 90s footballers. I think we're all up for that. Uh, right, let's start our uh, roundup of what's been going on uh, in the Football League over the last seven days. We talked about uh, Ross leaving Brentford. What about it from a Wigan perspective, DC? Dave Whelan says it's a move which has cost in the region of £500,000 uh, for Wigan, which I suppose perhaps they can afford having won the FA Cup and been in Europe. But um, what do you reckon? Good appointment? I think it's an interesting appointment. 
It's interesting to see that Rosler has said that they'll have a return to the Roberto Martinez way, which I think was uh, where a lot of the problems stemmed from, from Owen Coyle, certainly from the fans' perspective. They weren't happy with the football that Coyle had introduced, considering the you know, the great, if ultimately unsuccessful, football that they've had under Martinez for so many years. So he's going to play good football. He's got a reputation for doing that at, at Brentford, I think. At Brentford, you know, some people may look at him and think, well, we never got them out of the league despite having a good squad. Of Did good... anything, everything bought, yeah, exactly. didn't he? So I think you've got to look at the circumstances of last season. He was very, very unlucky down on, on that last day against Doncaster. Were it not for that incredible situation with the penalty, they would have been in the championship now. So I think you can certainly say that Ros has done a good job at Brentford and probably does deserve a chance to, to show that he can do it at a higher level with Wigan. And I think it's it's good appointment. And do you remember he got mm. Martinez in from Swansea? Was I know he's the next player, but he was further down the, the football league. Yeah. Foreign manager came in. I think it makes sense from... Rosler's point of view as well because his family are up in Wilmslow I think yeah. in, in the greater Manchester area and you know that is a, that is a strain on you you know if you're if you're commuting a, you know a big distance every day and you're not with your family you know he might be more comfortable up in that area so he you know that's a good thing it's a good positive for him and he certainly as we discussed a few weeks ago when Coyle left he's got a good squad of players there and a few weeks ago it was last week it should be exactly it should be some money as well to, to spend in, in a January transfer window if, if he sees fit so I think it's a, it's a good move for Wigan and it's a, certainly a very good move for Rosler another one of the managers which we did uh, discuss in that big special last week was Sean O'Driscoll who left Bristol City Steve Cottrell Carl has come in a West Country lad if ever there was one and uh, replaced him they made that move pretty quickly what do you make of that? supposedly he was the man they wanted all along uh, he'll probably do fine he can't do much worse than what Sean O'Driscoll was doing nasty but it doesn't strike me as a, a kind of a, a fresh innovative Appointment, I must admit. Dave, I don't know if you think it is a, a wise appointment, no, but absolutely I don't not. think it is. I think it's the exact opposite. I think they've bottled it. Bristol City have been coming out, as we said with Sean last week, coming out for a while now saying you know, it's all about the long-term plan, long-term philosophy, trying to create something that lasts you know, a long period of time, getting the wage bill down, you know, patience. All these words were used, and what they'd done, the first opportunity they had to stick by their own words and by their philosophy they, they've not taken it and they've gone for Steve Cottrell who is a man with the exception of his job at, that he did at Cheltenham did very well at Cheltenham a long time ago now he's not got a very good record you know really anywhere anywhere since he's lost more games than he's won I think pretty much in every other club with possibly the exception of his short spell at, at Notts County, County yeah. um, he will say he will point to his record at Notts Forest uh, at Nottingham Forest careful but, sorry not, <laughs> Nottingham careful. Forest sorry 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 <laughs> Nottingham Forest uh, saying that he saved them and they were, they were sinking like like a stone there and you know fair enough maybe maybe he should deserve some credit for that but he's not a man that will inspire confidence in the fans I don't think and it, it smacks for me of, of of short-term thinking and I think they should have stuck with O'Driscoll but they have got the squad to stay up let's just see what um he does do but of O'Driscoll they were playing a decent style of football eventually if it wasn't getting all the results they needed they were going you've, in the right direction you've uh, you've got them in the FA Cup as well haven't we you we have we've drawn them away at Ashton Gate we don't have the best record down there I don't think but um, I might try Getting and get excuse early final, yeah. uh, final little manager bit uh, in this round up is that uh, Richie Barker has gone to Portsmouth now um, we, and, and Steve Coppola and Steve Coppola as well. I, did, I didn't realise them two came as a little sort of double act these days um, but we, we talked about the fact that when Portsmouth <laughs> eventually uh, not on a great double but <laughs> quite, quite more than one <laughs> when, uh, when Portsmouth um, when the rumours were that um, left Crawley it was because he was going to go to Portsmouth and then apparently they approached Chris Wilder and we, th- we didn't think it was going to happen but he has gone in there and uh, you were speaking about um, Rosler living far away from his family Richie Barker one of the reasons he's moved sort of further progressively down the country is because his wife lives in Brighton so uh, 
he's not. Why are all it. these managers living away from home so far away? It's not like they're on you know short wages and you know the the expensive prices of within the M25 are out of their reach financially. Uh, why is that? No idea. Well, that's maybe for a special show one week when we've run that's out of stuff to talk about. And all, they're all nomads, aren't they? But um, I think. Again, it's a sort of in- quite an interesting appointment from Portsmouth. I think Wilder looks to be like the man who they wanted to take over initially, but Wilder, I think, quite wisely has decided to not take that opportunity. Barker, he's got a, you know, he got a team out of League Two. He, he, as we discussed, decent enough record with Crawley in League One. You've got a man there, Steve Koppel, who's very experienced alongside him. That in theory, that partnership, you know, should be quite stable and should work for Portsmouth. And if Barker can get Portsmouth, you know working with with the limited sort of resources that they have that you know the big attraction for any manager going to that job is the is the fan base is the club is the history at that level they are bigger than any other club in that division by by far in terms of the supporters that turn up week in week out so if they can get it moving there's something exciting there for them but it ain't going to be easy right enough managers anyway let's uh, talk about some of the games which took place over the weekend uh, blackpool in discipline Five undefeated derby. We touched on him earlier. They had uh, was it uh, two players sent off or yes. three players sent off against Yeovil, and yep. then two more players sent off for the weekend. In fact, their manager also had a massive uh, ban, didn't he? Yep. As well. So uh, here's the timeline: Jack Robinson sent off at Bournemouth, 14th of September. Uh, Angel Martinez sent off at Huddersfield, 27th of September. Paulins at Bournemouth, given that big uh, five-match stadium ban, 8th of October. Uh, Jack Robinson sent off against Blackburn on the 26th of October, and then five players sent off this week. Yeah, and they've been defending their record and saying it's not down to ill discipline. It's just down to poor decision making from the players Paul Lintz had a go at the players who he said let them down in the game against Yeovil then two more go and get sent off at Derby I mean Paul Lintz can't exactly speak though can he because what a terrible example he <laughs> well, exactly. you read that transcript yeah. from that hearing back and he's got, hasn't got a leg to stand on it comes from the top and it looks like his players are following suit and it's not good enough simply is it because Blackpool don't have the biggest squad in the world and all of a sudden that's five players in two games that are going to be suspended their two main centre-backs getting sent off against Yeovil going up against a team who rampant form such as Derby it just puts you on the back foot before you've begun and if Ricardo Fuller getting sent off for you know an attempted headbutt as well he's a senior player then he should know better and it's ridiculous he's come up with a number of excuses though Paul Lintz for this one of it was because of expectations and players getting frustrated but reading here quotes no um, that he gave to BBC Radio Lancashire which is probably even worse excuse coming up but um, it's because they're tired other teams don't have fixtures away at Bournemouth and then Millwall well, they do every team has to play <laughs> Bournemouth and Millwall away in that league and then go away to Yeovil on a Tuesday morning he's referring to games here in September so uh, uh, none it, of I these mean, sendings off took place in September Paul it's a man who's played at the very highest level you know, travelled around the world with uh, Manchester United and England and he's using excuses like that it's it is quite poor and not really covering himself in any particular glory. Um, not the first. Fines will probably be coming their way. Did you see, just on Paul Ince, quickly, we didn't get a chance to touch on it last week, did we? But um, after the Yeovil game, he came up with this hilarious line. He was obviously seething after after losing to Yeovil. Uh, well, the, well, the Yeovil game was in midweek, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So no wonder we couldn't talk about it last week. It hadn't happened. And... Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, good, good point. But anyway, after after the game, he said uh, the football league gave us a crap game on a Tuesday night at Yeovil, which was crap. Say <laughs> so what you think, Paul. Yeah. What about the rest of the games at the weekend? Then we've got new leaders: Burnley back to the top, beating Barnsley by a goal to nil. After Barnsley had gone and won at Brighton in midweek, and Leicester, who was singing the praises of a couple of weeks ago, have lost twice in a week. Lost at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, on uh, Tuesday and then they went down 3-1 at Brighton a couple of brilliant goals in that game as well yeah indeed um, Ashley Barnes as well I've been impressed with 
you know, with, with Brighton having McCall Smith's been out for so long now. He's actually, I saw him tweet the other day, actually, he's not finally back running in training, which will be good news for Brighton fans. But Eloa, or Joa, should I say, has been has been out as well this season. So the mantle has been passed to Ashley Barnes to kind of step up to the plate and be the man up top for them. And for a player that's been pretty average, I think it's fair to say, in, in his career in the Championship, he seems to have stepped up quite well and taken on the responsibility well. But I was impressed with Brighton. Uh, Oscar Garcia won Manager of the Month, didn't he, as well? But there was no signs of the curse coming mm. back to haunt him David on Saturday. Lopez, a great assists as well yep. the ball he put in for uh, the second goal was yeah, Rezaban yeah. uh, had a good game deputising for Kushak as well and credit to Andy King an excellent diving header love a diving header he was in about 50 yards of space though wasn't yeah, he doesn't matter he can't beat a good diving header Leicester's next games are Burnley QPR and Reading big Oof, yeah. that's my analysis well yeah, yeah. I was going to say don't say or difficult because they'll probably end up winning all of those no hard luck this season QPR nil Blackburn nil so uh, QPR Held. Um, what else happened up at the top? Forest won one 0 at Sheffield Wednesday. They're up yeah. to fifth. What's well, this about Billy Davies and a photographer or something? Well, Billy Davies banned a photographer. Um, right, that's right. Well, yeah. He went over to him at one of the games in the last few weeks and had a real go at him. And he's banned. He, obviously, we know about the the banning of the local press. He's banned journalists from the Guardian this season. Generally, not getting on well with the media. However. After that game against Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend, I was listening to his uh, post-match interview on the Football League show, and he was kind of saying, well, people are going to get euphoric or they're going to get suicidal about league position and there's going to be headlines written, and I know people need to sell newspapers. I understand that. Really? Do you really understand that, Billy Davis? Why are you banning journalists from the game then if you know they need to sell newspapers? Do you know, I just came up on my screen in front of me. It just said too loud. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> That's how passionately he cares. What a ridiculous thing to say. But I mean, This is a photographer. What's the photographer done wrong now? Oh, I, I don't know what he did wrong at all, but Billy, Billy Davis has clearly lost it in that Picture of his bad side. <laughs> Quite an angry man, Billy Davis. Um, do you see Kevin Davis' goal for Preston in the FA oh, Cup? Screamer. Oh, my days. He doesn't so, score many like that, does he? He doesn't. Um, sorry, I completely glossed over Leeds 3, Watford 3 there. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah. Two draws this uh, week. Uh, yeah, look, against Burnley and against Leeds, uh, probably mm, two points away from home, probably would have taken it. Certainly the clean sheet against Burnley. Didn't you win 6-1 at Leeds last season, we though? We did, we did. This shows how sort of how what, what's changed. But it was good to score three goals, but again, the problems are at the back. I mean, honestly, watching the, the, the second league's goal in particular... It really did remind me of the game I played yesterday afternoon at <laughs> Sunday league level. Pathetic defending. With three players, by you? Th- not necessarily by me. But th- <laughs> three players all going for the same ball. There doesn't seem to be anyone taking charge of the defence at the moment. Communi- I don't know whether it's communication or, or what, but it just it didn't look good. This shambolic defending is coming back to bite us again. But at least we did get that point with that late equaliser from Deeney. Uh, congratulations to Sean Derry, who's got his first win. And didn't he, didn't he look like he needed it? Right yeah. on the touchline at the end, you saw him just look up to the heavens for about 10 seconds before he turned and uh, shook his opposite manager's hand. So that was the first win in seven games Good for goals as well, wasn't it? Oh, Jack Grealish on loan from yeah. Villa, the 18-year-old. What a goal that was. Yeah, excellent. And you know, the, all three goals were great examples of composure and keeping your head from, from young players, no less, uh, who you know had the chance maybe to shoot, but they didn't. They moved it, they shifted it, and they waited till the moment was right, and they scored some, yeah, three good goals there. Uh, Cheltenham, uh, unbeaten in eight games now. They won 1-0 in League 2 at Moore. And that was the only game of the weekend. Yeah, hilarious though. Did you <laughs> the goal the, the scramble. scramble. Yeah. I, counted, I watched this again. This is I watched brilliant. this a number of times, and I counted 11, 11 shots that were either blocked or, or completely missed in in one case. I think the average uh, pinball game Shelton. loss. There was that. O- it, there was the overhead kick, yeah. which ended up being a pass. It was yeah. going out for a throw in. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I was going to say we've had this conversation a few times. You've got like so a couple of people that we know mutually, like Pete, for example. Is whenever you try and t- uh, say to him about, "Oh, come on, the standard in the championship, the football." 
football league's really good. He'll always got to go, bah, no, it's not, whatever. And then yeah, we haven't really got a case to answer when you see a video like that, have we? No, but it can happen, can't it? I mean, look, <laughs> it's the best. It is unfortunate as well. The spotlight being on on uh, Morecambe against Cheltenham being with the only spotlight league, being on the, it. the only league game, only league two game uh, on Saturday. Due Interesting to the, definition due to the, due to of the, the FA spotlight. Cup, but it, and it, it, it was hilarious, wasn't it? But it, you know, it happens. Okay, in the FA Cup, well done to uh, Kidderminster and Grimsby, non-league teams knocking out league opposition. Michael Gash. With a brilliant Come goal, on, Grimsby. For have a cup run. Um, and uh, some of the ties in the third round involving football league clubs playing the Premier League. Uh, Premier League opposition are as follows: Liverpool against Oldham on Mansfield that replays on telly. Uh, Forest against West Ham. You think they've got a good chance in that game Middlesbrough against Hull Leicester at Stoke Burnley at Southampton Sheffield United at Villa Blackburn hosting Manchester City Carlisle at Sunderland uh, Everton against QPR and as we mentioned earlier Derby against Chelsea there's quite a number of all Premier League ties as well um, in the third round we could have one of our our teams going further well it it gives the opportunity to the Football League teams to to go further well it's not going to happen with Swindon and Bury so uh, no, we lost to Cambridge yeah, in midweek. Yeah, we lost to Macclesfield. In well, the first get behind round. Watford then, lads. I well, suggest. okay, I'm going to stay behind Macclesfield. I think uh, um, I they've got Sheffield Wednesday. Got Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, which is out of the non-league teams, is probably the the best tie out of the uh, the four. Is it four or five teams that are remaining? I know Wrexham's still in it as we record uh, this against Oxford United this evening. It's a shame that you see the likes of Arsenal v Spurs because Liverpool versus Oldham. I know Oldham have got to get past Mansfield again, but given what happened last season, well, it's interesting. Isn't it? that that game, be great to watch that again. Both both Oldham and Mansfield played Liverpool last season, didn't they? In the FA Cup, mm. um, Oldham obviously winning, uh, and they're going to one of them's going to get a chance to do it again. Right, that's pretty much it for uh, this week's show. We should say thank you to everyone who voted for us at the. Uh, FSF Awards we appreciate it all 17 of you (laughs) I don't know we'll find out Um, 15 of those with Mark on different computers we're uh, we're actually going to be at the Emirates obviously for that awards Uh, we've got one more show before then though uh, which will be coming out next Monday and then we're off to uh to uh, the big the big night next week so uh, mm. we're going to record some stuff down there Are see we, if we can you speak record some stuff we can do yeah see you okay. in the room yeah. try and work the room and remember if we win you've got to go up to who did you say Aguero uh, whatever Premier League wins a player of the season. I'm, I'm hoping one of them will be sat on our table. If you want to contact the show Never this week, mind the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> <laughs> at Wagyu F- Pod- FSF Awards are the ones. At Wagyu Podcast is the uh, is how to get us on Twitter. Website is wearegoingup.co.uk. You read the blogs there. Also subscribe, rate on iTunes and all and, that kind of thing. And and SoundCloud.com slash Wagyu Podcast. And yeah, but Mixcloud. Mixcloud. Yeah, one more. Uh, Christmas time. You want to you you know, listen to, lots a, of, lots of interest, to a book or Lots something? of interesting books have been released recently. So when you're wrapping your Christmas presents, audible.co.uk slash going up. No, but if you don't want to wrap your Christmas presents, oh, if you're terrible at wrapping Christmas presents, why not get an audio book? You don't have to wrap it. You can email it to someone. <laughs> I was thinking about listening to it while you wrap presents. Well, they could do that as well. Listen to it whilst wrapping... Whilst... That doesn't work. <laughs> Got ourselves in the right muddle. Um, right, that's it. We will speak to you. Do what he said. We'll speak to you in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.